Welcome to the Rich Feet Podcast with Dr. Tanisha Richmond. This podcast is sponsored by the Richmond Foot and Ankle Clinic, where they specialize in happy feet. Each episode highlights the best of Dr. Richmond's radio show, providing bite-sized clips of advice. Let's jump right into the show. Back to what we were talking about when you were talking about the smoking. Now, what about patients who are on dialysis? What does the dialysis or the kidney failure sure. do to people? So, so dialysis is, as you know, rough. By dialysis, it means that you your kidneys have failed. And what do the kidneys do? The kidneys wash the blood. They keep the, the different types of chemicals and electrolytes that we have in our blood in, in hemostasis, where they keep it all level, where the levels we're supposed to have. So without dialysis, those levels get off and out of whack. There's several that are lethal, so potassium is one of them we talked about a lot. And by having dialysis, it makes sure the potassium levels are proper, which is good because that keeps your heart beating, and that's really important. So unfortunately, though, is as you get in dialysis, lots of things happen with the other electrolytes as it's trying to find this hemostasis. And one of those things is called calcium. Calcium is super important. We have it in our bones. We have it at levels that we need to have for our heart also. But what happens is, is that dialysis itself and end-stage renal disease, that's what we call, call it, cause, causes what's called biomineralization. I know that's a big word, but I'll break it down. Bio meaning life. Uh-huh. Mineralization is exactly what you think it is. Minerals being deposited in your cells. So by having end-stage renal disease, it triggers biomineralization or hardening of the arteries outside of just cholesterol. So it causes the arteries, really from your brain to your toes, every artery to have some increased biomineralization, which can lead to heart disease, which can lead to blockages in your legs, especially blockages in the smaller little arteries, including fingers and toes. So you can have people with end-stage renal disease who actually have rather normal cholesterol numbers, but still have biomineralization of their arteries causing blockages in the arteries. Yeah. They'll say, hey, I have my cholesterol, it's fine. Yeah, but you have end-stage renal disease, which makes it so that... The so dialysis... is there a correlation of how long they've been in yes. on dialysis? Yes. As yes. how long it takes for them to develop the vascular disease? Yes, about three years. And this is where I encourage anybody that has end-stage renal disease to get a transplant. So with a transplant, the average wait time, if you don't know someone to donate to you, It's about two and a half years, three years, University of Cincinnati, OSU, Toledo, Indianapolis. These are places around us that have uh, transplant. So the wait list on these places is around two and a half years. So what's interesting is it's about two and a half years that you start really picking up on the biomineralization or the hardening of the arteries with end-stage renal disease. So the toes are threatened after about three years. Of Um, being on dialysis. mm -hmm. And then, of course, if they're diabetic... That, that adds to it. Yeah, absolutely. If they have high cholesterol, that adds to it. And then if they're a smoker, oh, yeah. <laughs> those have four oh, bunch yeah. to yeah. the vascular system. So for those patients, I know they should be seeing a podiatrist. Yes. But they really should be seeing a podiatrist. Now, should those patients be getting an ABI every year? Yes. Yes. Okay, absolutely. every year. And what's interesting is more and more insurance companies are actually approving something that are called localized glucose checkers. So they have small little patches that look like they're Velcro. They go on the skin with a sticker 
Yeah. And you can actually hold your smartphone up to the sticker and it will tell you glucose. The sticker stays on for two weeks. So I was actually swimming with some friends and their son has diabetes. And he was jumping in the pool and getting out of the pool and jumping in the pool. He had it attached to his side right below his rib cage on his belly. And he was playing like a normal kid. He's about 13, jumping in the pool back and forth. Yeah. And he, his mom's like, let's see, you're pretty active. Let's see how you're doing. She just holds up her phone to it. He was doing fine. He was like 108. Yeah. Jumped back in the pool. And yeah. it, it gives that, that sense of I'm under control and I have some control of what my glucose is. Because wow. a lot of diabetics feel out of control. Yeah, it's, you know, I'm diabetic myself. I've been diabetic now 18 years, so I know what they're dealing with. And actually, I had a Libre, mm -hmm. and I loved it because, you know, you're sitting there and you're like, oh, uh, I have a headache. Let me check my sugar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I ate this. Let me check yeah. my sugar. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's more and more common to have insurances. Uh, yeah, it's, it's getting more. Some insurance plans don't pay, but I think as technology yes. evolves with, as, with everything, yes. In life, yeah. it should be someday covered pretty much every plan. So, you know, I, I've never had someone explain the whole how dialysis directly affected kidney function. I mean, how it affected the vascular yeah. tree. So, as a vascular surgeon, I guess what... What do you say to your patients your, or your diabetic patients or your smokers? Sure. Is it, you said, just look at your feet, see a podiatrist, yes. come see me. People that have diabetics and incisional patients that have a podiatrist have more legs, period. Yeah. Keep your feet on longer if you have a podiatrist. That is proven by any study we can do. And the Hallmark study came out of 2008 in Arizona. Huge study showing that podiatrists save feet on diabetics and non-diabetics so you got to have a podiatrist if you're diabetic and often you get a pair of free shoes so i'm a, I'm a woman i still like shoes too so yeah <laughs> who doesn't want a pair of free shoes so i think the, the key for for feet and vascular is that if, if you understand what can cause the neuropathy so high glucose makes it so you do not feel your feet that causes three main things with your feet it causes your your feet to change its architecture, which means that oftentimes the arch changes shape, which means your toes change their shape, which means their toes have different pressure points. And those different pressure points, because you don't feel your feet, then can lead to what's called a repetitive injury. Meaning as you're walking, people that feel their feet move their feet around and change their location. People that don't feel their feet yeah. repetitively hit the same Thanks. spot in their, in their feet over and over again. So they don't realize that they're having problems. So a diabetic, if you know you're going to go to an airport and walk a long distance, take a moment, you know, step into the restroom, take your feet off, take your feet off, take your shoes off, <laughs> take your shoes off and look at your feet, look at it for blister because as you walk more, and of course that's what everyone says, walk, walk, everyone should walk, including yeah. myself, including you, everybody yeah. should walk. Yeah. But a diabetic needs to watch their feet. So meticulous foot care, looking for that repetitive injury. Because if you don't feel that you're hitting the same spot in your foot over and over again, often it leads to something called a callus. Well, people say, oh, calluses are good. They're protecting my hands. They're protecting my feet. No, no, no. Calluses can hide all kinds of, of things. stuff. Yes. Calluses are like icebergs. You just see the top. You don't know what the bottom is. I like that. I like that. I'm, I'm going to use that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
So I know one thing when I do the ABIs in the office and I explain the test and I explain the waveforms and they're like, well, what can I do at home to fix this? Oh, absolutely. I think that the, the thing that, that I choose to do is basically think of trying to have as little processed food as possible. Okay. I think that helps a lot. There's a lot of sugar in processed foods. Why? Because sugar tastes good. Your brain likes sugar. But if you look at the packaging, and that's one of the hardest things in all of being an adult, one of the adulting things I tell people, read the packaging. Yeah. Read how much high fructose corn sugar, how much sugar. There's many different names for sugar. It's hidden everywhere. Yeah. Fructose, sucralose. And they talk about you know modified corn syrup. They talk yeah. about corn syrup. They call it, there's a thousand different names for sugar, but they're all trying to get sugar in there. So if you can try to get away from foods that have a lot of sugar in them, it can help. And carbohydrates also, but it's the sugar that we find that's everywhere. And then I know you've told patients to walk. Yes. Yes. So for me, I tell patients that 150 minutes, and this has been studied over uh, a three-year study out of Britain, 150 minutes per week can lead to better vascular health. And that's just walking. This is not Jane Fonda. This is not, you know, line dancing. We're talking about just boring, everyday walking. Walking. Get yourself up. And walk. What's interesting though is that the minimum walk time was 15 minutes. So under 15 minutes, we can't show a benefit. So uh-huh. I, I make a distinction between what I call shopping walking and actual walking. <laughs> okay. So shopping walking is you walk a little bit, you look at something, you pause, you look around, and you start walking again. Your brain does not know that is walking. Your brain thinks that's complicated standing. So <laughs> complicated standing. Okay. So you gotta actually choose to walk longer than fifteen minutes in a row, and it's so endurance is more important than uh-huh. speed. So you need to walk up to fifteen minutes to start finding that benefit. Continuous, not stopping, not shopping, not you know. Don't don't count grocery store walking as walking. That's so mall walking. walking. Yeah, or walking your dog. My favorite thing right now is I tell most of my patients they need to go to the Air Force Museum. It's air conditioned. It's flat. It's got chairs everywhere. Wonderful people, and you get to learn some history in the process. And it's got free parking. And it's huge. And you aren't likely to buy something. So yeah. you know, it's, you know. I, I took my dad there. He's yeah. retired Air Force. He found out information yeah, <laughs> about yeah. the Air Force he didn't know but about. It's cool. It's quiet. It's a great place to walk. I will tell patients that, but I always tell them go to the mall or take their dog. Yeah, yeah. Walk the dog. The dog loves to walk. Now, be careful. A lot of dogs will stop and stop and do complicated standing too. So (laughs) you gotta make sure that dog keeps moving. So. But you said the Air Force Museum. Yeah. I'll tell people that because that is free. Yeah, I, I think huge. if you walk to the president's uh, airplanes in the back, it's at least a mile and back. I'm sure <laughs> it's a long way. <laughs> yeah, the Air Force Museum like that. They need the traffic right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I think from a health point of view, 150 minutes. That's the break point. Which in, in, in the overall globe of a week, the that's time not of much. week, that's not much. No. So you know, 15, 10 little walks. It's a couple, several big walks, but you need to bottle 150 minutes to keep your legs healthy. And that is the large muscles of your thigh and the large muscles of your calf. These are the muscles that really, really need to be moved. So do you know this? Now, patients always love when we ask, do you smoke? They always say, well, I smoke marijuana, and that's from the earth. So that's good stuff. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, The lungs don't know that. <laughs> yeah, so explain to people what marijuana does to you. So I think the... For one, we have limited studies about how it actually affects the vasculature, but we do know that it does affect 
how your lungs breathe. It does affect how your, your body moves. And we don't actually, because there's not been any large trials, I can't tell you that it leads to atherosclerosis, atherosclerotic plaque. I just don't have the data for that, so I do not know. Okay. Yeah. What is COVID-19 doing to the vascular system? So I'm going to let her answer that question. Well, as I know that everyone understands this, COVID-19 is a new thing. We have not seen it in the medical community before January, or really December, but in the United States and before January. So one of the things about COVID-19 that we've learned over the over the over this last eight months is that clearly triggers the inflammatory system. The inflammatory system is directly related to how we clot and unclot. Our blood, it needs to be liquid form in our, in our inside of our blood vessels. So that each blood vessel, if you think about a blood vessel as a tube of cells, think of it almost like the Romans had aqueducts and they had bricks all connected together with mortars, mortar. So carried water, it's still watertight, but it's made up of individual cells. So what we've learned is that these cells that are lining the arteries are inflamed and becoming inflamed, and this triggers the clotting cascade, which is called coagulation. So what we're learning is that patients that are getting a higher inflammatory markers within COVID, they are having a higher amount of coagulation, which is called a hypercoagulable state, meaning hyper meaning high, coagulable meaning clotting. So we're finding patients that are having, people that have high inflammation with COVID are having more strokes, which can be a clotting problem up to the brain, more limb loss, which can be a clotting problem towards the legs and the feet. And we're finding that if patients that have a high inflammatory markers that are sick in the hospital, we're actually putting them on clotting, anti-clotting medications, which are, can include Loganox, which can include heparin, and sometimes we're actually adding other medications that can allow the blood to be thinner. Does that mean that everybody needs to be on a blood thinner? No, it does not. It just means that if your inflammatory markers are high in the hospital, that we will look towards working on thinning the blood some. But we are we measure this and we can measure this and how it goes. There is been there has been some talk about COVID toe. Uh, I've seen two patients in Dayton that have, that actually presented with this. It, it, it shows up, if, it, for example, if this was a toe, this is obviously my hand, but if this was a toe, it shows up as small little black spots on a one or other toes. And we think that this is having a high inflammatory response, triggering these capillaries to clot off. And they're, they're, the, both patients have described this as painful. Both patients have described this as causing the pain to be just localized at the toe itself with small little black dots along the toe. Um, both of those patients I did then sent to the hospital to get tested. They both had high inflammatory markers and both were placed on anticoagulation. And they both had, were positive for they COVID? Were, they were, they were. Now, one of them also had respiratory symptoms. So uh-huh. he needed to be in the hospital regardless of whatever was happening to his toe. And the other lady, she actually presented to the emergency department for the toe. We put her on blood thinner. And she actually went home. So, but they were both then home quarantined for 14 days to make sure that they were separate. Oh, now I know we've had some articles come through some of our podiatry magazines where they talked about it, but I haven't seen it. And actually the pictures that we saw, 
It was kind of more like the toes were swollen, but you said the pinpoint. I'm just telling you what I've seen. Yeah, so, no, yeah, but yeah. I'm glad to know what yeah. to look for because yeah. it kind of almost describes like what we see with a wart. Mm-hmm. We see the little dots, dots of yeah. blood yeah. in the toe. Mm-hmm. So, so, so for a patient, say someone that has a history of a DVT mm-hmm. or blood mm-hmm. clots, should they be talking to their vascular doctor or or making sure they're on blood thinners or? Well, if you have a DVT history, this is a conversation you should have with your primary care doctor about what your anticoagulation plan is. DVTs come in two forms. Um, they're called provoked or unprovoked. Provoked, it kind of makes sense. You break your leg, you put your leg in a cast for a very long time. Those veins are being stuck in a mold for a very long time. Those veins have provoked in, in DVT. Unprovoked, that's the more serious one in the sense that you don't know why that's happening. So those are the ones that often need a genetic testing. Sometimes you have cancer workup. Sometimes you have uh, COVID testing nowadays. Uh-huh. Um, looking for something to provoke it. It's the unprovoked that are much more complicated and much harder to understand why they're happening. So if you have a history of DVTs, you need to understand whether or not you have a provoked DVT or an unprovoked DVT. If you had you know, I sat in an airplane for, you know, 20 hours. Well, clearly that's a provoked DVT. Okay. But whereas if you have a DVT just out of the blue, those are the ones that you have to really talk to your primary care doctor about getting all kinds of workup in the sense of looking for anything from cancer to genetics. Okay. And you had mentioned about veins, yes. varicose veins. Yes. Well, you didn't say varicose no. veins, but how does that relate to vascular disease? Because I have a lot of patients or just plain swelling. Like I have a lot of patients who are just swollen. And generally I always say, well, how is your kidney, yes. liver, or heart? And then they'll say, well, I'm in heart failure. Well, oh, it's your yeah. heart. And then I'm in liver failure. Well, yeah. it's your liver. I'm in kidney failure. It's your kidneys. But... <laughs> Swelling, swelling is uh, systemic until proven otherwise. Okay. So very, it's 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 rare for varicose veins to be the cause of all your swelling. So I always make sure your heart's okay, just like you said. Make sure your kidneys okay. Make sure your liver's okay, because those are the things, the chronic illnesses that are really important to catch early. And this may be the hallmark sign. Women have silent heart attacks. It may be leg swelling as the only thing that will tell you that you had a silent heart attack. And that that's, uh, for me, as a yeah. female, that says, okay, so I need to listen to my body. I need to listen to what my body is telling me. And if leg swelling is the first thing that tells you you have some renal failure, this is a thing you need to not ignore. Don't yeah. ignore swelling. Talk to your primary care doctor and say, doctor, this is not what I've had before. Clearly something is going wrong. I need to have my kidneys text tested. And my liver test and my heart tested. So what about compression stockings? Because um, I know they have, well, I need some compression stockings. And I'm like, but I, we got to check your yeah. vascular status yeah. first. Yeah. I need to make sure we don't cut off the little blood flow you got yeah. by putting you in a compression stocking. So when should a person wear compression stockings? Well, I, I hate to tell everybody out there, but uh, <laughs> varicose veins uh, are genetic. Well, not. Totally genetic, but mostly genetic. So if your mom or dad or aunt and uncle, Uncle Bob has varicose veins, well, guess what? It's just as good as brown hair. You're probably going to have varicose veins too. It's mm-hmm. not sex, male or female, doesn't matter. Um, it's that if you have a job that stands a lot, a job you know where you're standing on concrete especially, mm-hmm. these people have higher pressure, 
on the varicose veins because you're standing up on a column of water. All your blood is pushing down against these veins and the valves inside of the veins, they end up breaking. And they can break in two ways. The vein could get too big or the valve itself could break. So what does compression do? Light compression is probably okay for the general population. That's okay. But what we're talking about is medical compression. That's anything above 20 millimeters of mercury, which is pretty tight. If you're not doing what we call uh, compression stuck in yoga in the morning, you're probably not tight enough. <laughs> so I wear compression all the time. My dad has varicose vein. So okay. I wear compression when I'm in surgery because I'm standing on hard concrete. So what I do is I, if, if it's not a struggle to put on, that sock is not tight enough. And for right now, the key is anything for me, I wear 15 to 18 millimeters of mercury. You can get this over the counter. And even if you have arterial disease, it's probably okay for that lower level of compression. Now, if you start crossing up with 20 to 30 millimeters of mercury, that's the higher medical compression. Probably need to get your arteries checked out, your veins checked out. Because that yeah. is actually really tight. And those are hard to get on. And I, I tell people all the time, and unless you don't need the medical compression, 15 to 18 is just fine. So if they're having mild swelling, 15 to, 18, you said 15 yeah. to 20. So basically the over-the-counter ones. Mm -hmm. yep. But the ones that I write, the 20 to 30, right. they need to have some vascular yeah, studies some first. Yeah. Just and then sure the see you. Because I know they'll come in. And then, okay, let's, oh, I, this is my favorite topic. <laughs> Lymphedema. Oh, Explain yeah. what is lymphedema. Well, <laughs> well, let's just start off by lots of lymphedema is just fat. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I, would oh. love, I would love to say that, that lymphedema is often uh, fixable. It's not. Okay. Um, exercise, we know, does help. Moving your muscles does help. Moving your large muscles, like your gluteal, your thighs, your hamstrings, your quads, does help. We know that muscle movement around your around the fat that has that extra fluid in it helps. Compression, uh, it doesn't always help. Uh -huh. The problem with lymphedema is often it's variable in the sense that at you having a bad day, it's your legs really large, and then you have a good day, your legs really small. So a compression stocking can actually be like a tourniquet if you're having a particularly bad day. So okay. lymphedema is a hard one because it makes it so that you, it there's different amounts of fluid in and among the fat on your legs, and that makes it so that there's different amount of fluid in your legs in general. Losing weight absolutely does help. Compression does help, but I I, I do more of the wraps. You less. like the like the the Jones compression yeah, wraps or the circades or the stuff like those. That. Yeah. What about the lymphedema pumps? They do work. Um, they're pricey. Yeah. Um, uh, they do work. I, I make sure that everything has been ruled out. Make sure all of the, all of the systemic problems yeah, are ruled out. Yeah, before they get the pump. Yeah, but they do work. 90 minutes, twice a day, you know, sitting in a chair with your legs elevated, the pumps do work. And actually, there's some benefit to the arteries also with those pumps. The problem is they're quite pricey, and not every insurance covers them. Okay. So, let's see. We talked about lymphedema, varicose <laughs> veins. Oh, what? Okay, so what are the symptoms of vascular disease? So if someone's on sitting at home looking at their feet, what should they be worried about sure. or if, if they see it or feel it? So I like to distinguish uh, leg pain in kind of two broad categories. Kind of night cramps and day cramps. I know okay. that sounds really simplified, but it helps kind of distinguish what's happening. So at nighttime, if you're having leg pain, often that's a dehydration. Often it's a, it's a mineral uh, disturbance like 
low calcium, low sodium, low potassium, low magnesium. So it's awful dietary. Night cramps can lead also to iron deficiency. If you have restless leg, it's often linked to iron deficiency. So nutritional deficiencies lead to night cramps. Unfortunately, also diabetes can be a sign. Night cramps can be a sign of night cramps, meaning like numbness and tingling and burning sensation. That can be a sign of neuropathy. So that night pain is a separate pain. Day pain. So that's more of, I think of it in two different ways. Is it happening while you're moving or is the pain happening while you're staying still? If the pain is happening while you're staying still, I often think of that as electrical. So we think about spine problems. We think about uh, nerve problems. If it's while you're moving, then we think about plumbing. I'm more of a plumber. So the you think about supply and demand. So if I walk 20 feet, or excuse me, 20 paces, and my calf hurts after 20 paces, that means I've outstripped the oxygen delivered to my legs. So it's a supply and demand issue. So that's called claudication. Claudication means a consistent amount of pain with a consistent amount of motion. So pain in your legs that is always triggered by walking 100 yards, that could be a sign that your arteries are blocked. And it's a supply of oxygen to demand of oxygen imbalance. So restless leg, you mentioned yeah. that. And patients, I was like, I think I got restless yeah. leg. What is restless leg So syndrome? restless leg is where you have an uncontrollable urge to move your legs while you're laying still. Okay. Um, and there is some evidence that it could be a sign of iron deficiency anemia. So you do need to have your blood tested if you're having restless leg. There are some nerve medications that do treat it. But those medications do have some side effects, so you need to talk to your doctor about them. Um, don't just take your aunt's medication. You gotta go, gotta go. <laughs> you gotta go get checked out for yourself. Mm-hmm. You need to have the blood work because it could just be a sign that you're having. So it's no vascular disease. component to restless leg. It's more neurological. It is. Nerves. The medications that they use to treat that are some drugs that they were investigating for seizure at one point. They're not seizure medications, but that's what like gabapentin, more mm-hmm. drugs like yeah, that. Yeah. Okay, so because yeah. lots of time patients will come to me and say I have restless leg. Yeah. Now is that a component maybe of like a bulging disc in their lower back? It can be. It yes, can be. arthritis or something like that. that. Kind of the the. Faux, faux restless leg, where it's being caused by positional, yeah. nighttime position. So true restless leg is an uncontrollable urge no matter where you're, how you're positioned. So left side, right side, forward. If you find that I go to one side and I always have restless leg in that one position, then it may be a spine issue. Okay. Well, it looks like I had a caller that wanted to talk about heel spurs. <laughs> Which is right up my alley. Yeah. <laughs> so heel spurs, that is inflammation of the heel. So the technical term for that is called plantar fasciitis. So you have a plantar fascia that attaches at the bottom of your heel and the base of your toes. Over time, that tissue gets tired. It gets tight and it pulls actually on the heel bone itself. And lots of pe- times people will say, I have a heel spur. So basically what the heel spur is, that tissue is pulled off the heel bone and the body has made a little spur where the irritation is. So the mainstay of treatment for plantar fasciitis is stretching at home. There's a lot of different stretching you can find online. 
taking a water bottle, freezing it, rolling it over your heel to see if that calms the inflammation. But generally, when you come to see me in my office, the first thing is we do, we get a good thorough history because sometimes, like I was just talking to Dr. Gilkerson, it could be a back injury. So they could have a bulging disc, a compression of a bulging disc, arthritis in their lower back that presents as heel pain in the foot. And then also we're going to get x-rays. So when I look at an x-ray, I want to make sure I see an heel spur or I'm checking for a fracture. I'm checking for possible cancer of the foot or heel bone, and I'm just making sure the bones are normal in the foot. So the first thing we usually start off with is something called orthotics. So those are inserts. Actually, I have a, let me pull my foot up here. <laughs> yeah. I have a, I have them in my shoes. You like my shoes? I like my shoes. I do. <laughs> so this is what is an orthotic. And I have what's called a Fred Flintstone foot. I have a wide, flat foot, which is very common in African-Americans. I may see 2% of the population of African-Americans who actually have an arch. But this supports my what's of my little arch that I do have. And as you can see, it cups the arch and it supports the soft tissue of the foot. So I did get plantar fasciitis a couple of years ago. And ever since then, I always wear my orthotics and my plantar fasciitis stays away. So for patients who can't get relief from orthotics, there's things like the infamous heel spur injection. That's where we inject the foot and I inject right where the patient says the pain is with some lidocaine and steroid. And that gives you immediate pain relief and then steroid calms down the inflammation in the area. We do have a new form of pain treatment in the office. It is a neurostimulation device that we use. It's similar to a TENS unit, but it doesn't involve any kind of drugs or injections. And we actually can do that in the office. And that's usually about a 15 to 20 minute treatment in the office. And it's covered by most insurance insurances and some insurance is not covered by it's usually about forty dollars for treatment but that's another way to treat heel pain and as well as tendonitis and nerve pain as well but the mainstay of getting rid of the heel pain is getting into a good pair of inserts now doc you have a fabulous foot boutique so you want to tell us how <laughs> we can get those inserts and everything else that you have there okay so i do have a fabulous foot boutique and now I have the mask factory I just added. <laughs> so now we have the custom face mask. We have the t-shirts, the bedazzled t-shirts. I got some cowboy t-shirts. And then we also have, we have now inserts. Well, we sell inserts in the office over the counter that are $30 a pair. We do have some sandals that are $30 that have orthotics built into them. So you can put around the house or walk around and have some support in your shoes. We sell diabetic socks. We sell hammer toe pads, corn pads, antifungal toenail polish. We have paparazzi jewelry in there. <laughs> we have, I think we have, yeah, we have compression socks as well as diabetic socks. Some treatments if you want to do your at home foot treatments. And then also we do have a diabetic friendly foot spa in the office as well. And that's $20, and that's done in a private room with a massage chair, lights. You get to put on your favorite Pandora channel, as long as it's not cussing a lot. <laughs> then you have to wear your own headphones. <laughs> and it's done by the medical assistants. 
And generally, most patients will do that on the day of their appointment. They'll come in 30 minutes early and then get the full treatment. Then I'll come in and cut their nails or calluses or do a regular exam because those do function as treatment rooms. And then, of course, like me and Dr. Gilkerson had discussed, I do vascular studies in the office, which is a non-invasive way to check blood flow. It's just a blood pressure cuff on your arms and legs. And like we've talked before, people who are diabetic, they're smokers, they're in renal failure, they're having cramping in their legs. Absolutely. You know, things are turning colors that shouldn't <laughs> be turning colors. And things Absolutely are turning right. yep. different shades. If you're African-American, your top, you should be brown on the top and brown at the bottom. You should be brown on top and black on the bottom. If you're Caucasian, you should be white on top and white on bottom. Not white, then hot pink. Uh-huh. That's not a good yeah. thing. <laughs> So, so basically, and then also we have x-ray in the office. We can do nerve testing and nerve treatments in the office now. And then, of course, we offer walking boots, night splints, ankle braces, and all those things as well. And we accept most insurances. And you can always give the office a call at 937-228-3668. If you are an existing patient, you can schedule yourself online at richfeet.org. If you just want to ask a question, you can text me directly through Google. So if you Google me, there's ability to now to text me through Google. So no, I can get you know texts. I think it's safe to say you just have everything there. So <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. and Dr. Gilbertson, wouldn't you say we need to do the toe and flow show again? Yeah. I mean, everything has to be by phone. You are fabulous. Yeah, she uh, stopped me today. Very phenomenal. Very much enjoyed the show. We're getting all kind of messages and responses from the listening audience. We appreciate you for that. And certainly appreciate you being here. Doc, you will be back with us on September the 26th, it looks like. So okay. cannot believe we're moving that fast through the year. So yeah. um, you talked about a plethora of things uh, this afternoon, but uh, what would be your closing remarks? And, and we'll allow Dr. Of course, Gilbertson to give her closing remarks as well. Basically what Dr. Gilbertson said, look at your feet. <laughs> look at your feet. <laughs> Pay attention to them, especially if you have any of these high-risk conditions. If you're diabetic, you're a smoker, you're a renal failure, Look at your feet. I tell, like I tell my patients, your feet are not your childhood feet no more. The things you did as a five and six year old, you can't do in your thirties and forties and above. And then once your feet become diabetic feet, they are now high risk feet. And you have to take care of them, like wash them, look at them, look between your toes. Do you think we really want to ignore our feet? Do people really yes, do they ignore them. They do it every year. They, people's feet hibernate in the winter months. And then <laughs> in the it. summer months, everyone comes in and sees all this weird stuff that's been happening all winter long. And they're like, oh, what is that? Why are my nails look like that? Why my skin looks like this? And I'm like, you haven't looked at your feet in three months? <laughs> but they haven't. <laughs> and then, of course, look between your toes, especially my men. And if you've been in jail, please look between your toes. <laughs> because a lot of the men... And well, I haven't seen many women, but a lot of the men who come out of jail come back with this horrific interdigital athlete's foot. I mean, it's dripping on the floor. I culture it. There's like three, four, five things living between their toes. It's hard to treat. They have to go on antibiotics, antivirals, topicals, and it's it's really bad. So, and the thing to really say is all of this is preventable. 
I mean, I would say I'm like the gatekeeper to the feet. I see the feet first. Absolutely. I discern what's wrong with the feet. Then I get them to the specialist like Dr. Gilkison. So I can see, I can walk in the room and be like, oh no, give me my phone. I got to call Dr. Gilkison. I got to text her because she got to see this patient today <laughs> or tomorrow. Not next week. No, today. She's. <laughs> I, I call her, where are you at? Where are you at? I, I got one. She. You got to see her today. She needs to be admitted. And I've had probably... The, over my life, it's in fact about 10 to 20 of those patients where I walk in the room and the first question I'll ask them is, how long you been smoking? Or what's your blood sugars? Are you on, are you on renal failure? But usually the first question is always is, how long have you been smoking? Yes. And they'll always say, oh, 20 years. I just smoke a couple packs, but I quit last week. I said, no, it doesn't reverse. And that's when I work them up. I tell them to give me my phone <laughs> so I can call Dr. Gilkinson to find out where she is and I can get their information, get Dr. Gilkinson's information to the patient so they can go see her today or the next day. Yeah. And Dr. Flow. Gilkinson, yeah. what do you have to say about well, I, that? I, I, tone flow. I mean, think the, the key for saving feet. We're feet fighters. That's, that's, that's we're not feet <laughs> fighters. Like feet fighters. So I, I think any anybody that has feet... Feet owner's manual says, look at your feet, wash your feet. Um, remember, even Jesus washed feet. So remember, we have to make sure that every foot, so if you love somebody, maybe they can't reach their feet, maybe their back hurts, wash their feet. I wash my mother's feet when I'm around her. I will take her feet. I will trim her toenails. I will make sure her feet are okay because I care about my mother. Mm. So these are small things, but I know as a, as a, as a child... Something you can do for someone else is is watch watch your loved one's feet. Wow. I used to thought it was because I would fly into Louisiana and my grandma and grandpa made me cut their toenails. Yep. But now I see I should have been enjoying it more. It's pure love. <laughs> it's, not, it's not enjoyment. It's love. Love makes you wash someone else's feet. That's a that, true statement. That is love. That is love. <laughs> love conquers all, huh? Yes, it does. Yes, yes it, it does. does. Dr. Richmond... <laughs> Dr. Julie Gerperson, we so appreciate you today. Fabulous guest, fabulous show. Toe and flow, I love it. I love Toe it. and flow. I'm going to make that a man's yeah. going to teach you. We have to do that again. <laughs> Dr. Richmond, thank you so very much. You bring such value and information and education to our listening audience. And you thank know, you. over the years and even uh, today, through all that the uh, country is going through, our city is going through, we certainly appreciate you and that fabulous fabulous boutique that you have <laughs> thank so you. we want to make sure our listeners get over there and, and take advantage of all that you have over there thank you we appreciate you we'll see you back September all right 26 have see a great day ladies all right bye-bye we hope you enjoyed today's show with dr richmond sponsored by the richmond foot and ankle clinic the clinic is located at 1323 west third street in dayton ohio zip code 45402 to book an appointment call 937-228-3668 or you can learn more at richfeet.org.